Hi, this is Victor Greta Jr. And in this episode of Coders, we're going to be talking to Arthur Matosian, the founder and CEO of Fibo, and talking about how he built his video app. But first, a message from our sponsors. Comscope. Thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Hi, welcome to Coders, and thanks for joining us. I'm here with Arthur Matosian, and uh, he founded Fibo and has built this thing out. It's really cool. I'm actually going to let him explain what it is because I realized maybe people haven't used Fibo before. So uh, Arthur, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you, how about you? I'm good, man. Uh, so tell us, first of all, just tell us, you know, what's the elevator pitch for Fibo? What is it? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you how it started. Um, I was on my iPad a couple of years ago and I was browsing reddit.com and I was on the video section. And what was happening was uh, I was you know, looking for something fun to watch. I didn't know what I wanted to see. And it would take me from YouTube, you know, or from Safari and Reddit, into the YouTube app, then I'd have to quit YouTube when I was on the video, go back in Safari, then jump onto the website of like Vimeo or wherever the video was coming from. So I thought that there might be a better way to, uh, to, to basically discover and share a video. So that's the gist of how it started. So what it is, is uh, we curate channels from all over the web. So that includes YouTube, Vimeo, Reddit, Facebook, Vine, uh, and any other sources that we find. And we put them in a really awesome animated way to help uh, people discover great stuff to watch. And then we've got a bunch of tools uh, built there to help you cut and clip uh, certain clips uh, or parts of video and then uh, share online. And then the biggest piece that, uh, you know, we're really excited about is a second screen display for the Apple TV. So if you have, um, you know, air AirPlay mirroring is one thing, but if you turn on the, I'm sorry, AirPlay is one thing, but if you have mirroring turned on, then uh, you can, you know, have a, a really cool second screen display experience where your phone or your Apple watch or your tablet become, become a remote and you see a ton of animations happening on the, uh, on the TV, which is really, really fun. Yeah, it's, I have to say that uh, as, as a user of the app, I think it's, it's beautifully done. It's beautifully designed. It, it gives you a real sense of, you know, where you are in the stream and whatnot. And I think, I think it achieved the goal that you were going for, which is, you know, aggregate this stuff in a smart way and give people the ability to sort of curate their own video feed, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, the biggest challenges out there for consumers is they don't realize, you know, people think of Vice as one channel, but Vice has Vice Munchies, Vice News. Uh, they've got a ton of stuff or BuzzFeed, you know, they have BuzzFeed Blue, Yellow. Um, and so or, uh, the last example, I guess, is Disney. Now, Disney has over 20 channels available online from Disney Insiders to Pixar to Disney Shorts. And there's not a, re a really good way to, to do that without having to manually type and, and really dig in um, you know, to, look where you're, to find what you're looking for. So Fibo takes that piece of the work out of it and just presents a ton of great stuff for you, you know, uh, and in a really awesome and easy way. And I think, uh, you know, as you, as the months are coming and you'll see some of the updates we put out there, uh, it's going to be a, going to take, take the experience to a whole new level. So I'm excited. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the, the building. This is coders. So we talk about software, we talk about making stuff. Uh, I'm curious, you know, in, in scrum and in agile development, right. You try to get to this minimum viable product, right? So how long did it take you to build that? Uh, in our case, it took a little bit too long because, um, you know, I, I was a bit of a perfectionist for this first go around. I, I knew what I wanted to do for a while. So this is something that, uh, you know, I uh, shouldn't have taken as long as it did. In, in my opinion, we didn't get to an MVP until about six months in. 
Um, and we didn't do any of the scrum or any of the agile stuff. I mean, we basically went from having five mockups, basically drawn out to programming. And uh, so what, what took a long time was, and what I would do differently is that, you know, we were, first of all, content was coming from YouTube, Vimeo, and all those other sources, but that really had nothing to do with getting the core MVP idea out. So I built all the APIs into the app first, uh, and then, you know, we're trying to, I mean, it's hard to make things work with, with one provider, let alone multiple. So that was part of the delay. I mean, in the long run, obviously, it was a good decision, but it didn't have anything to do with getting something out there that quickly anyways. You know, if I can go back, I would probably just stick with one of the providers and then test everything, et cetera, and then move on from there. So. Um, six months, and then we didn't ship till about uh, I'd say nine months uh, for the first version. How many? I was curious. Uh, you say we like about how many people did you have working on this? Um, there was two. My engineer's name is Peter. Uh, he is an iOS engineer. Has been doing this for a while. And then uh, myself, I did a little bit of you know I review stuff like that. Do we use Parse as a backend? So uh, you know I would program in all the channels, uh, do the kind of the, the dirty work I would say of programming, the not so fun kind of database things. Uh, we would, you know, custom design every single logo that you see in the app, so to, and so that it really uh, it keeps with the experience of being beautifully designed. Uh, so two people, and then you know, at various points, uh, if we needed something extra done, I would either bring a friend on board or or do a third party contract. But for the most part, I would say ninety nine percent of this app is built by two guys. That's pretty phenomenal, actually. I have to say, uh, you know, and it's it's one of the things that I think is really cool about the iOS platform in general is that you don't need a huge team to make something really great. Uh, and so that's cool. And to that end, what tools do you use? I mean, obviously Xcode, right? right. And uh, were you guys pure Objective-C, most, you know, mostly Objective-C? Yeah, I mean, as far as the, I mean, the client side was all Objective-C and that's where Peter's you know, incredible at. Um, I have to give him a lot of credit for the work he did. Uh, you know, the algorithms, the the animations, the effects. I mean, there are many points throughout the process where some things didn't even, you know, there there are new. We're doing new things that weren't that hadn't been done before, uh, so there was no kind of like a point of reference to start from. So, uh, iOS for the client. Uh, we originally started with a company called Stackmob, which got acquired by PayPal as a back end as a service, uh, and we quickly switched to Parse. And I have to give a huge shout out to Facebook and the Parse team because. What they've done for developers to make uh, to rapidly build a uh, an app and, and you know release it is really an incredible tool. If that didn't exist, our MVP product would have taken you know 50% more. I mean, they provide push notifications, account management, um, it just you know uh, there's so much to it. So anybody who uh, a piece of advice, if you're building an iOS or Android app, is uh, even a JavaScript or web app, I would I would look at Parse as being your backend. Um, uh, that's good. To, that's good to know, actually, because I think maybe a lot of people aren't as familiar with Parse as they probably should be. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, they're yeah they they are acquired by Facebook, and they've just kind of the trend for them is you know going up, and uh, yeah, there's tons of tons of new tools that uh just they recently announced, and I'm pretty excited about as well. And the other thing, you know, so so basically iOS, uh, Xcode, Objective C, and then we had Parse, and then a lot of for the web piece, a lot of JavaScript, and then you're plugging in different APIs from. You know, Google or whoever it may be. So those are the core tenets, I'd say, of what went into building Feedbomb. And we're talking about the uh, the APIs. Like, how difficult was it to negotiate? You know, navigate through the different APIs. Were they vastly different? Or I mean, it was kind of the same thing, right? It's video, so it's like my. I'm I'm curious as to the implementation of each API. Were they just vastly different from each other, and you had a lot of learning to do on each one? I mean, at the core, it was you're grabbing a stream and putting it on the app. So that piece was uh, relatively straightforward. What was different, I mean, I guess the comparison between like Vimeo and YouTube 
when you're you know, YouTube, you can return, you know, 25 results at a time or whatever it was, you know, a couple of years ago for a video or Vimeo was maybe 15. So the way that the, the app would preload stuff, we couldn't get as far down the list with Vimeo as we could with YouTube. So there's like minor nuances to the different platforms, um, you know, get pulling in the, the, the amount of views the video has or the, the length of time the video is were done in different ways. But again, we're all relatively straightforward, just slightly uh, different implementations. And again, with that, some uh, limits to, you know, one versus the other, depending on, you know, which API. Right. And, and that's sort of an interesting thing, too, because, like I said, it's, it's really a basic sort of thing, right? You've got the stream, you negotiate that, but then you've got metadata. And right. that always seems to be the sticking point is this metadata because everybody does metadata differently, uh, you know, or has some weird spin on it. And then, of course, you've got the calls, you know, like you said, Vimeo, not as big a company as Google, obviously. So they're limiting it a bit more. Um, and I assume that's just, you know, on their end, an engineering decision to say, you know, limit this somewhat. Uh, we don't have the server capacity that YouTube does, obviously. Uh so that's cool. I mean, how how long do you say do you think it took to negotiate all of those APIs to figure out and map those and you know integrate them? Um, well, once we had a client piece built that you know where everything was kind of feeding into the iOS piece, I would say no more than a week, you know, or two each. Um, I mean, again, that's like getting the minimum kind of piece down. Okay, like to your point, Vimeo isn't as big of a company, so there I think there were a few limitations on their end, but they've. You know, steadily made changes, and as you're seeing, you know, sometimes the the changes they make are, are better and more open. In other cases, with other companies, sometimes like Twitter lately, uh, the changes sometimes tend to roll back access. So you're kind of you're constantly navigating the different, you know, uh, the, the limits, and you know, having you have to find creative solutions. Or in, in certain cases, you know, we had a, a Facebook channel, for example, where it would go and pull in your Facebook feed and, and parse out every post that wasn't a video. So whether you uploaded a video or your friends shared a link from Vimeo, YouTube, et cetera, and it created this really awesome feed of just a, basically a Facebook video a channel that was, I, I was really excited about it, really awesome, but they made some changes at F8, which are understandable, you know, why they made the changes and we're no longer able to do that. No, I mean, not just us, nobody is able to do it. So, you know, that, and that's a case of uh, kind of go for, from a developer's perspective, going a step back. But again, with the, with a platform like that, you, you have to understand why and uh, it's, you know, no big deal, but uh, you know, I, I, it was a bummer to have to take that out. Right. Yeah, and I can only imagine that that that's definitely something that you can't just ship a product and forget about it. Never mind the support and all these other things, but you have to negotiate the API changes, you know, from hosts. So yeah. you're you're just having to keep up with that, you know, alone. And especially when you build something like that, and it's so cool, and you're like, oh man, you know. Definitely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even say it's negotiation. More like click I accept to whatever they say. That's but, true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's definitely true. So do you have any tips, you know, given this experience, do you have any advice uh, for small shops, one or two people or individuals making stuff like, you know, what were some of the things that you learned in building FIBO? Yeah, you know, I learned, uh, you can talk about a, a component, you're trying to build a feature or, a, you know, an idea or an animation for an hour or two, you could even spend time mocking that up or trying to animate it on, you know, with an Adobe product or whatever, on, you know, on the computer, uh, or you could just build it. Uh, many times we would just discuss something and it was much, by the time we were done talking about it, if we had just focused that one, two, three hours and actually doing it, it would have been done. Whether it got used or not ultimately is, is you know, a different question. But um, yeah, kind of the Nike slogan or the new Shia LaBeouf video, just do it. So uh, literally, uh, the, I would say, I mean, you know, we threw away, or I wouldn't say throw away, we didn't use uh, maybe 15, 20% of the ultimate, of the, I'm sorry, of the overall code that we wrote. 
Um, but, you know, that was time spent learning, trying new things, kind of pushing the, the boundaries. There's a lot of stuff, especially if you think about, you know, the APIs that are available on, on iOS, you know, two or three years ago versus today, there was, there, there's much more tools. There's many more tools for us today than there were. So we had to kind of find creative solutions to do what we were doing then. Um, so yeah, just, you know, iterate, but I believe very strongly in iterating with code for, you know, again, I understand you have to have a plan, you have to design and have mockups, et cetera, but uh, iterating with code sometimes is a lot more faster and efficient and you'd, you'd be surprised at the results. Well, yeah, you had mentioned that, you know, you guys didn't necessarily use Scrum, but it, obviously Scrum was developed organically because the, the creator was looking at how people really worked, you know, and Waterfall is so opposite of how human beings really do. What you're really talking about is basically Scrum. It's just without the formality of, well, let's do the check. I mean, you're checking in, you're doing your code, you're doing all this other stuff all at the same time. So you were doing agile development. You just weren't doing the sort of rigor, you know, applied to it or whatever. It's the same thing. And I find that interesting that, you know, that again is like the power of the tools that we have now that you can actually go in and as you're talking about something, go ahead and poke away at it. And next thing you know, by the end of your conversation, like, oh, check it out. Here's that animation we were just talking about. Here's how it works. Boom. You know? Right. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, it's the process is, I'm sure for anybody who's developed an app or is in, in development, you're surprised, you know, after a couple of weeks to see something take shape, even though it's not done, it's a, it's a really empowering feeling. Um, and it kind of gets the juices flowing quite a bit. So now is, uh, is your guy local or is he remote? Uh, yeah, no, he's here in San Diego. Okay. I, I, well, I'm in Los Angeles. He's in San Diego currently. So Okay. Uh, not too far. Did you guys, so did you guys, uh, you know, meet in person or did you do FaceTime or? Um, I mean, for a majority of the work was over Skype, phone, text, email. Um, but we have been in person uh, several times, obviously. You know, it's funny, the times that we've met in person, it's an incredible collaboration experience. I mean, you just get a lot more done. It's really difficult to kind of articulate an idea through the phone or through Skype. Uh, so it kind of, I have to say, over the years of working with him, it improved at least my communication skills. I'm definitely a lot, you know, it was a little bit hard at first, uh, you know, doing things like holding your phone onto a screen, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you can't be in-person collaboration, but, you know, I'm really proud and impressed that we did a lot of what we did remotely. It, it, it you know, definitely made conversations a bit longer than they needed to be and it definitely left a little bit of room for interpretation. But um, I think that, you know, we, you know, you become friends that way and you kind of learn how to people with different communication styles and the uh, we made it work. I mean, in the, in, the, in the modern world, I mean, obviously, kind of, you have to rely on on products like Skype uh, or FaceTime to get things done. So, and there's other tools. Um, you know, now especially QuickTime has made it easy to share your screen mm -hmm. while you're uh, on your on your computer. So we've done I've done that, which has helped a lot. That wasn't available back then. Um, so, you know, yeah, you do whatever whatever way you gotta get it done. I mean, you gotta do it. So, right now, uh, as someone who managed a remote team i can definitely feel your pain on that because we used irc actually oh wow uh, yeah cool. and well and you know the cool thing about irc is that when you're when you're doing media when you're doing content you know the generic content thing uh we built bots so we were able to do things like check tags check spellings check format and that sort of thing and uh you could probably do that with code as well, right? You know, you say, okay, here's this, and then go through and check. And but you've got GitHub and all kinds of other things where you can do this stuff now. It's beautiful. Uh, I'm I'm curious though. Uh, have you used Slack? Uh, no, I've heard of Slack. Obviously, I've read about it online, and I have I, no, I can't say I have. I'd like to try it one day. Did so you use after, a, maybe after this call? I will. But uh, <laughs> did you use Campfire? Ever use Campfire? I have used Campfire. Uh, for this, for people, we didn't use it though. We just 
we're strictly old school email, phone calls, yeah, Skype. Right on. Uh, you know, we uh, Testlight was a huge tool that we used to uh, send builds back and forth. Uh, and yeah, they were fantastic for that. Um, so. Yeah, and for, for those who don't know, TestFlight uh, is a, actually was an L.A. company. Uh, we're based in L.A. And, um, and they were acquired by Apple, what, like about a year ago, I think, right? Uh, I think, yeah, right around the last uh, WWC. So yeah. yeah, and and it provides a way for developers to give people beta access and, and then uh, easily manage that whole thing. Because normally, like the old provision process, all these sorts of things was a real nightmare. Test flight's sort of like an app. You click some buttons, and boom, you've you've got the app downloading, and it's a beta, and you can test it. and And of course, Apple's integration, from what I've seen, has been really fantastic. I mean, the test flight was a great product to begin with, but now that they've acquired them, it's like this is magnificent. Yeah, it's definitely gotten much easier. The whole kind of awkward period of the integration has changed, and so uh, it, yeah, it's really. I mean, it's nice to. You know, talk about an idea, for example, you know, spend a day or two you know, implementing a bug fix or a, a new feature and then kind of get a push notification saying, oh, your app is available for download from TestFlight and then do a quick little download through their app and it's, it's working right there. And uh, from what I understand now as well, once you're actually, when, you, like, when you're beta testing or QA testing and you want to get to a build that you like, you can just push a button from TestFlight and then use that, that build to submit uh, to iTunes for approval. So they really streamlined the whole problem. I mean, like I said, it was great before. It's far better now. Um, and I'm really thrilled that Apple bought them. Congrats to that team, obviously. And uh, I think that, I mean, it's, it's definitely made life a lot easier for tons of developers. So, Absolutely. Now, you had said uh, back then we didn't have this, this, and this. So how, how long has Feebo been around? Um, we started the initial, okay, so the Feebo came out May 1st, 2013. So we were uh, developing that, let's see, the summer of 2012 was when we actually started the coding. The, the actual idea for it and the designs were around sometime around, I'd say early 2012. Uh, so yeah, from summer 2012 till about May 2013 was the, the initial development cycle or process. Uh, and then, you know, since then, you know, this is not the typical startup story, I would say. We've taken a lot of time. We've gone really slow because the video space, as you know, is heating up. Uh, we're kind of kind of taking a, a good view of, of, the, of the market, trying to stay alive. Uh, to kind of get to the point where video really was going to be the thing. You know, I thought that we were a bit early with lots of things like the airplane mirroring stuff. You know, we were kind of, I think one of the first, if not the first to do that with video anyways. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, we had a, um, I mean, we're still kind of in that phase now. So I'd say the, the, the 2.0 version that's coming out fairly soon is going to be the one that we really push uh, and, you know, hopefully get some you know, decent press, et cetera, with. But uh, the last two years have been staying alive, learning and iterating because you know it's a fairly ambitious product that wasn't something we could have done in 90 days and ship and kind of have some of these awesome success stories you you hear about yeah well i i think though some of that is uh if you look statistically speaking you know some of those success stories are if not apocryphal they're just rarities right i, I mean you remember uh trism right that was one of the big breakout hits in like early ios uh app store days and uh and what happened in that studio, right? They're not a Zynga. They're not, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, you had this one sort of oddball. It took, I mean, hell, a great example is Flappy Bird, right? I yeah. mean, that's a completely, it's under-designed. It's, it's, it's terrible mechanic, really. Um, just oddly addictive, like cookie clicker or something weird like that. It's just a bizarre sort of thing. Um, of course, it took off because PewDiePie played it. And right. it got this huge follow-on from that. Uh, so I... I 
I totally understand the whole thing of like where you are in this space that is just exploding, right? And you guys are very passionate about your product and you're very uh, detail oriented. So you want to keep pace, but you also want to make sure that you're providing the best value to your customers, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Although this is a free app, right? Yeah, it's totally free. Um, and we hope to keep it that way. So. Cool. Well, and you know, I had a question about... Actually, uh, I, I actually want to say to, to, to under your point, a recent example is Meerkat. People saw this meteoric rise of this brand new app, Meerkat, and it like, came from nowhere, essentially. And was the core of that app, I think, was built in about eight weeks. But what people forget is that the founder of Meerkat and that company, that all of that back end, all that stuff was another part that they had been iterating on for a couple of years. And um, I, I forget the name, but if, I'm sure if you look up on the App Store, they have their other app that's still there, um, like Air, On Air or whatever it was. But it was a live streaming thing. It was very, very similar. Uh, but they rebranded and did a couple changes, simplified you know, the experience, and then you saw that. So it's like the overnight success that was you know, three years in the making kind of situation. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and that's a big part of it, right? People talk about the preparation aspect of it. It's, it's right. 99% whatever and all this. Uh, it's funny because I was on a, a podcast actually before this show, and we were talking about that, you know, how do you go to market and how do you get successful and, and how do you, you know, promote your app? And just the sort of weird lightning rod effect that sometimes happens for some of these apps. And people think, oh, this just popped up. But really, it's, it's been around or the team has been around. In fact, I was talking about Twitch and how Twitch was originally just in TV. And it did okay for a little while and then it just kind of bottomed out. And then they pivoted to Twitch. And so the idea is you've got to be agile. You've got to be nimble and be able to say, okay, if this isn't working, maybe turn it around just a little bit and we can go into this other area. Uh, you know, you're not going to get into live streaming. Uh, I can't say we're not getting into live streaming. I mean, that's <laughs> definitely definitely part of the plan. You know, it's hard. It's hard to stay focused right now. We're focused on 2.0 and what that is. You know, kind of taking all these tools we're creating and making. You know, the, I learned. I learned that the Facebook's um, they have a thing, a startup. It's called FB Start, and yep. I learned that they 90% of the people that they're I guess on platforms consume 9% curate and then 1% create. So we built FIBO. The initial idea was that the first set of the app was going to be for the 90%. Now we're getting into that 1% or the other 9% where the curators, you curate your content, videos, et cetera. And then the next stuff, the next phase for us would be, you know, getting into the full 100% is that the creators piece. And uh, we've definitely got a couple uh, ideas, uh, one related to VR and cardboard as far as live streaming is concerned. So you can kind of watch content at the same time with people um, or just also live streaming your own content. But there, that, that space, you know, Again, I, I, I take, I guess you could say the Apple approach is let the market kind of develop, see what happens and then not, and then see where you can do something different and better and where you'd fit. Um, so and what makes sense for what we're doing, but live streaming is something that I've definitely have an interest in. That's cool. Uh, you know, I had a, I had a question about, uh, you know, what do you use for providing video or whatever? And, and I, I realize now that's kind of a dumb question because you're not hosting anything. You're, you know, you're hosted on the app store. And then you're pulling in video from these other sources, but is is there anything else that you guys are using in terms of the sort of middleware? Yeah, so I mean, a, most of the content currently comes from third-party providers. Part of the live streaming, or even just streaming from our end, would be our own providing or service provider service, mm -hmm. uh, like data provider, whatever you want to call that. Um, you know, we've looked. Uh, Amazon Cloud is a you know one of the pieces that we probably build on for that. Uh, where we can kind of up users can upload a video directly, uh, host it there, then stream it instead of having their own FIBO channel instead of it be YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. Um, 
Uh, Parse has some hosting now, which is, uh, we'll see how that works out. So again, it's kind of like seeing these tools that are taking the best tool for the job at that time. Um, you know, Media Temple is an LA-based uh, provider. They, 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 we do host uh, certain bits of content that come from, that are, that are, that's ours that come from other sources, but the videos for, the, for being a lightweight startup, you know, obviously bandwidth is incredibly expensive for videos. So it's been a conscious choice to pull from other sources for at this point in time until we have the proper you know, funding and traction. No, we're doing, you know, because we could blow a ton of money doing that and it'd be totally useless. So it's trying to be real, you know, innovation. You don't need a lot of money to be innovative. You just need to be creative. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, a couple more questions. Uh, first of all, uh, one, I, I didn't prep before, so I'm sorry about this, but I was, I was curious what your thoughts are. You'd mentioned bandwidth, though. And I'm curious because RCR Wireless does cover telecom and the wireless spectrum, right? And in in this country in particular, we have bandwidth caps, we have or you know data limits and all these other things. Uh, do you guys worry about that? I mean, in terms of from a content ingestion side, you know, you want yeah. your consumers to get the stuff. Do you worry about that? Uh, absolutely. That was uh, from the very first version of FIBA. We actually had the app. It detects if you're on Wi-Fi or uh, you know. A third party LG, uh, so not third party LG or 3G. So if you're on um, LG or is it? I was saying LG. LTE. LTE. I'm sorry. It's it's early in the morning for me over here. I know you guys are on yeah, these no. I don't. I'm never up at this time. Uh, <laughs> so if you're on a LTE, for example, or, or 3G, the app does not do all the animations that you see. It doesn't download the videos and create that whole matrix effect because that would totally destroy uh, your bandwidth. What it does instead, which is, is an equally beautiful uh, experience, is it uh, does animation of the the, uh, the thumbnail images of the video. So if you have you know whatever that, that YouTube or Vimeo thumbnail images, they they, they they cycle in and out in a really beautiful animated way. So you're just downloading the little picture, not the entire video. And then if you switch to Wi-Fi, then you see the same thing happen with the, the logos flip. But instead of flipping to a, a thumbnail animation, it flips to the actual video streaming. Just like uh, the, the where that came from actually is uh, that scene in the Matrix when. Uh, Neo talks to the architect, and the videos are all kind of going on behind you. You know, we, I saw that in the movie when I was, you know, when I was young, and I was like, "Wow, that's really cool." So I thought that'd be a good, good point of reference to start for a new user interface for video. Uh, so, so yeah, so it, anyways, the app detects if you're on Wi-Fi or LTE, not LG, uh, and uh, and it does it does that. And then also, there's other things where it's fairly standard. You know, if you're on Wi-Fi, it'll take a HD stream versus you're on you know cellular data it'll just pull in a lower resolution so those are a couple things that we do to help you know, protect users does uh does youtube and vimeo have have that in their api also where you know it, it's saying okay feed me the low low bandwidth um at the time i don't think they 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 had that and actually i have to go back and look i i think that we manually select that in ours i the, if they provide it now I, we didn't implement it the way they they've they have it i have to that's a a detail I don't know off the top of my head. I don't yeah. think that they did that at the time. That was us having to make that choice. Yeah. And kind of find that, that. I mean, they have like the multiple streams. And you got to, I guess, sure. pick the stream you want, but you have to do the whole detection of what you want to display and when. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, so, one more question. I, I was curious, you know, you're a small team and you're building and you're shipping. And so that's in itself a whole thing. How do you guys do, first of all, what do you use for bug tracking? And then how do you do support? Um, so bug tracking, I can't say we do anything too fancy. I mean, basically it's screenshots of the, of the app, whatever something's going wrong or take a quick time video, uh, or another, usually grab another cell phone and take a video of the problem, try to replicate the bug. Uh, it's a small team of that as well. Um, one of our investors, 
his son has joined the team as a QA engineer, which has been incredibly helpful. Actually, it has somebody third, you know, another set of eyes kind of beat down and find issues. Uh, you know, with TestFlight, we'll get the app out there to friends and family and anybody who you know we've talked to online uh, or in person that 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 wants to test it out and just basically get people's. A lot of times, you get a lot of opinions more so yeah. than QA. The QA is a very specific thing that you have to really be looking for, and it's hard and it's hard to separate the uh, what this should be or could be versus here we're trying to fix this issue. But a lot of it's just you know nitty gritty screenshots and, and videos, and then um, you know replicating that and fixing it. Um, and the other part, as far as your your question, sorry. Uh, oh, for uh, support, how do you guys support. handle support? Uh, you know, I, I get emails actually from people, which is really cool. So we have a you know inside the app, there's a you know send us an email or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and I've gotten some really cool stuff. One time, the app stopped working for some API change, and uh, I, you know, you don't realize because you see the, 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 the you know every day the stats and these numbers, and it's kind of like it becomes you kind of become desensitized to that. Sure. Uh, when your app doesn't work, and then someone's like, "Hey, you know, I rely on this to watch video, you know, or whatever," uh, you kind of start to see, "Wow, people really do care." Um, so you know, we get we get emails that way. Obviously, the app store reviews, which thankfully we've had some really good reviews on the app store. Um, you get feedback there and you're constantly just showing the product uh, to people and getting, getting feedback that way. Um, and, uh, okay. Actually one last, last question because uh, we've, take, I, yeah. <laughs> we've got, well, we've got WWDC coming up. And so I'm curious, uh, you know, I've, I got, well, I saw the other day that uh, the Apple TV will, will, well, first of all, there's the rumor that, you know, there will be no new Apple TV at WW, but the, uh, the fact that Apple TV can be a home kit hub, uh, which I thought was pretty cool, but I, th- I think we heard that a while back too. Um, so there's obviously got to be a lot of HomeKit stuff, I believe. So anything else you think that's going to come out? Well, with respect to the Apple TV piece, I'm actually, if the rumors are true that they're delaying that, I'm a little bit, I'm happy. I was, I'm excited for that piece, but I'm happy because we're also not ready for the Apple TV revolution, not yet. Uh, I think that a little more time from whatever they're doing, who knows? I'm sure it's going to be fantastic, and for us as well. You know, because Vivo has from day one been positioned to be a third-party app on Apple TV. That's the whole reason why we have the mirroring and all that. So I'm pretty, I'm incredibly excited about what we're doing in that space. I'm uh, one of the first and really think it's really innovative. So yeah, I'm glad that there's a little bit more time to, to make it perfect for both sides. Uh, as far as this Monday, uh, you know, again, looking at what it sounded like there was going to be a ton of stuff, Apple TV, iOS 9, you know, uh, whatever they do with OS 10. And I think now given what I'm hearing and what just what I'm feeling is it's going to all be about the watch. I mean, you've got this new thing that's out there and what is, what does it need more than anything right now is really great apps. So I hope that they focus on the watch and obviously, you know, what are they going to do with iOS um, and whatever else will be a nice little bonus, but I, I, I'm, I think it's going to be all about the watch. So. Yeah. The, the native, uh, because right now the apps are not really native apps, right? They're, they're more, it's more like a second screen thing. They don't really. Right. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you need a you know complimentary iOS app to go along with it, and you are it's fairly limited what you can do. Uh, so you know, yeah, especially in our case, you know, we're trying to use it as a, a second screen, as a remote from your watch, and so cool. I'm hoping they make that a little more robust, and I imagine they will. I mean, I think you know they get it now. Developers, developers, developers. Yeah, well, and you know, it it tracks really well with what happened with the iPhone launch, right? Because you didn't have an app store at first. I mean, this at least they you know they have an app store because they wouldn't have they wouldn't have released it without an app component at this right. stage of the game, right? That would have been silly. But, you know, the potential for the app store was there, obviously. I mean, people like who worked with me, Erica Sadoon, were jailbreaking and they were going in and writing their own apps and whatnot. Um, she wrote the so, book on that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just cool to see because people like us who know Apple, we know that they are casting the line way out there 
and then they pull it tight and they kind of reel it in. And that's where all the iterations and refinements come in is like, okay, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be out there. It's not going to be the best thing that developers are going to experience, but the people who are dedicated and love it are going to make these awesome things. And then as we improve that, it's just going to get better and better and better. I mean, look at iOS one versus today, you right. know, phenomenal, the amount of tools that we have been added since then. Yeah, I mean, especially if you look at the first apps that were, uh, you know, legit from Apple, they were web apps, through Safari. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, there was an app for Pilots, um, which was, uh, I'm forgetting the name right now, but um, yeah, it was a really, really good app for Flight that was web-based and they converted to an iOS app and they're one of the top apps now. So there's a, yeah, I think that we're, obviously, like you said, in this stage of the game, they're starting a little bit, a little bit further along, but I'm pretty excited with what they do and uh, yeah, it'll be. Oh, yeah. It's cool hardware. I went by the Apple store the other day and showed my kids about force touch. And I was explaining like, you know, it's not really you know, pushing down, but it feels like it is. It's like that. How cool is that? Right? Yeah. The cool thing for me, actually, the, I called my dad from the watch itself, which was really nice. And the other time uh, I was doing dishes and my, my, my hands weren't like clean and I couldn't get my phone in my pocket. So I just tapped the button and I was able to take a call on the wrist. So that, you know, was been like a, the futuristic fun little feature. Uh, that I've most enjoyed. And the second thing I have to say is if you have an Apple TV, you know, using this as a remote is really cool. Um, just kind of lounge back and, you know, so that was fun. And there's a bunch of stuff that I like, but those are the two things that I like the most about the watches. Well, and especially if you're like me and you have a couch, you're constantly losing the damn Apple remote for, for the <laughs> Apple TV. So. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Arthur, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is fun. And everyone can check out your app, of course, on the App Store as Phoebo. Yes, it's spelled P-H-E-E-B-O, like Phoebo right. from Friends. Oh, there we go. Yep. And, uh, and of course, to everyone who's watching out there, I, I'm going to be at the Worldwide Developers Conference, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference next week in San Francisco. And so on Friday, I'll have some conversations with developers. We'll talk about what happened on Monday, and it'll be super fun. Uh, really looking forward to all the great stuff that Apple's going to be talking about. So for this week's episode of Coders, I am Victor Greta Jr. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Coders is a production of RCR TV News. To reach Victor Agreta Jr. or to suggest a show topic for Coders, you can reach him on Twitter at SuperPixels. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com. <laughs>